Pace Line is produced by the Cycling Independent with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Uh, you're doing better than me, right? I'm doing way better than you. Okay. <laughs> I'm, do I'm winning this week. Okay. Well, at least we settled that. I'm, I'm not winning, and I accept that. Uh, my number yes. seems to be up. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sick. Uh, there are a couple people in my life who don't think I have COVID. Uh, and then there are a whole bunch of people who like me go, mm, Occam's razor. What's everybody sick with? Oh yeah. Yeah. The thing COVID. from the pandemic. And you just traveled. You were exposed to the, the unwashed masses. Yeah. Uh, you know, I behaved when I was at the airport and on the plane, but, uh, mm -hmm. I went some places where I wasn't wearing a mask and, uh, I am now chastened as a result. Uh, yeah. I've taken one test and it was negative, but, you know, we can take lots of tests and have them be negative. So, well, the other thing that's going on is that people uh, haven't had colds uh, or the flu in a long time. And that those are proving to be extra uh, powerful because they just haven't they're not in the usual immuno response. So you could have anything. The fact remains, you feel like garbage, uh, and so we all appreciate you showing up for the podcast this week. <laughs> you know, and and I mean, to be fair, uh, you know, if this is COVID, I am so very glad that I've yeah. been vaccinated three times. Um, I'm not terrible. I'm yucky, but I'm not truly <laughs> terrible. Uh, yeah. You know, this is just going to mess up the rest of this week for sure. Yeah, I got I got COVID for my 50th birthday. I literally woke up that morning, uh, tested myself because I was off to um, hang out with some friends and I got COVID that morning and I felt bad, but I've had worse flus. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, definitely the immuno response that science was able to gift me uh, prevented me from having a bad, bad experience. Yeah, yeah. Um you know, and I got the flu shot last year. Who knows? I mean, whatever. Uh, you know, these things happen. This is part of life. It's a full contact sport. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So uh, I'm, I'm yucky, but I'm not really actually complaining about it. Uh, this too right. shall pass. <laughs> that, that seems accurate. Yeah. Uh, so what are you what are you talking about this week? So this week, as I mentioned 
the last few weeks, I bought a new mountain bike, and it arrived this week. Mm. Um, shout out to my buddy Andrew at Cascade Bicycle Studio in Seattle. Uh, and I'm I'm dying to talk about it, but I'm not really ready yet because I've only done two rides on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to talk about it, and it's it's definitely been an eye opening experience. But I'm not ready to to give real feelings mm-hmm. to it just yet. Mm-hmm. What I want to talk about instead is relearning to ride on flat pedals rather than clipless. Oh, which is how I've ridden almost exclusively for the last few decades. Yeah. Oh, you're taking that on. Yeah, I'm taking that on. So early evidence suggests I'm not going to be making a completely seamless transition from one pedal format to the other. But I'm already fascinated with the the process. Um, This is pretty literally an old dog trying to learn some new tricks. Mm -hmm. And it's uncomfortable. Uh, I, I have the sense that this bike, which rips... Uh, regardless of how well I'm riding it at the moment, that it would be, it would actually be amazing to ride clipped in. I can see all the little places where I could be faster or have more control. And there's this tremendous internal pressure to go back to what I know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's not the point. Uh, <laughs> what, what actually is the point here? Because I mean, uh, it, you know, I know Francis Sabato at MTBR. Um, Francis is an old friend and he made the switch a couple of years ago to go back to flats. And he, he told me it took him a full year to get used to it. Hmm. I'm no, no, I'm not. I, mm, I'd be interested to give it a try, but I'm not devoting a year of my life to that. No, I don't think it's going to take a year. Uh, maybe I'm, you know, that's probably naivete on my part. Uh, but to me, um, the thing is, I'm 50. Mm-hmm. I've been riding a long time. Mm. I've ridden a lot of different bikes in a lot of different styles. And every bike I've tried, I've brought myself along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly, I'd say I've adapted those bikes to my style of riding. So, Mm -hmm. for example, on my Hardtail 29er, I run narrower tires than most people do because I like the whippy kind of agile feel of them. That's my style. Mm -hmm. I'm not a hucker or a basher. I try to have some finesse, whether I do or not. That's how I like to try to ride. So my bikes are typically set up to be light and quick. Mm -hmm. Um, This bike doesn't want that. (laughs) it'll it'll roll through just about anything and it has the ability to get off the ground and back again gracefully Mm, mm -hmm. that's though not a skill set that's a skill set i haven't had uh since i was like 14 Mm. uh so for once i'm trying to go along with the bike instead of making it go along with me i I mean, I see what you're saying there. I I see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as I figure out the handling, uh, I anticipate taking on, you know, sort of more drops, more jumps, uh, just a rowdier. Is that the term the kids use? Just a rowdier kind of riding. And the flat pedals, pedals, I think, are going to help me feel safer because learning a lot of that stuff is going to require bailing on some less than perfect attempts. Mm hmm. Uh, not to mention the joy of learning to control the, the rear of the bike with my feet, 
without having them connected, which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm interested in. And at this point in my life, this it, it feels important, you know, to shake off what I'm comfortable with and embrace some awkward, uncomfortable learning. You know, this is just this is just a small change. Flat pedals for clip for clipless. Mm-hmm. But it's also a sea change for me. Yeah. Um, am I you know, am I nuts? Is this worth learning? Um, I hope so. Have you ever reached a point? with your writing where you wanted to kind of stop applying whatever expertise you've gained and, and start over like this. So, uh, a couple years ago, while dirt rag still existed, uh, I was going to do, uh, I was going to write a feature for them, uh, using the very phrase you used just a little while ago. Can you teach an old dog new tricks? Uh, the Mm. idea was that I was going to spend some time, with a guy around here who teaches people mountain bike skills, uh, you know, more advanced stuff, uh, the, the, the hucking type things. And then I was going to go off to one of the ninja mountain bike clinics, uh, and spend a weekend doing that. And then things got sideways for, for dirt rag, unfortunately. And that feature never came to fruition. But as I began to confront that before, you know, the, the feature got killed, I rapidly came up against, wait, you're, you're using clipless pedals. I'm like, yeah, uh, I have been riding since the 1980s. I mean, Mm. uh, the last time I rode a mountain bike with flat pedals, it had clips and straps. Mm -hmm. Uh, I spent, I spent like a couple of weeks, uh, riding my mountain bike with the clips and straps removed in the fall of 89 thinking uh-huh. I need to, I should learn how to do this. I should learn how to keep right. my feet on the pedals. And it went poorly enough for me way back then while I was still in my twenties that I thought, okay, that was stupid. I'm not doing that again. And once I got to clipless pedals, because in the 1980s, we still didn't have clipless pedals for mountain mm-hmm. bikes. That was like 1991. Right. I, once I made it to clipless pedals on mountain bikes, I didn't spend a moment even thinking about looking back. And right. I, I mean, I understand what people say, you know, Oh, it's easier to push the bike away. If you get into trouble, Oh, it's easier to this. And, and it's like, mm, everything in my brain has been predicated on being locked to my bike. And you know, uh, present evidence, my history, uh, suggests it's worked out pretty well for me. Yeah, it's absolutely worked out well for me, but I, I also think it's taken me down a particular riding path, which Mm -hmm. is fun. It's fun. I think it's like this point in my life, you know, like if I were 30 or 35 and contemplating this, I'd say, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm not doing that, but maybe I'll do it later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now at 50, I'm kind of like, if I'm not if I'm not figuring out how to how to do some at least low key jump lines now. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, it's if only I'm not going to get harder from here on out. It's only going to get harder from here on out. And yeah. I think this is the path. There's some specific places I ride where there are you know, some fair sized drops and I'm not trying to be, you know, I'm not trying to go X games here. <laughs> uh, uh, 
but I'm super interested in progressing my riding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the opportunity of a new bike is like a good time. And we'll see, you know, we'll see three months from now if I'm still uh, trying to learn this. Um, in the two rides I've done so far, I've all, I feel like I've already learned quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that pace will, will abate, uh, and I'll get frustrated. But the other thing that I'll say, and again, we're not talking about the bike just yet is the bike rips so hard that, mm-hmm. that um, mm-hmm. it's, it, I'm not doing all the things with it that I would normally do. Uh, How so? But, well, I'm not. Uh, I, I I tend to move the the rear end of the bike around quite a bit uh-huh. when I ride. Oh. Uh, here in New England, things can be very tight. Yep. Uh, and so I move the the back tire around quite a bit. Um, I can get my you know my current or my pr- previous mountain bike off the ground pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this one, I'm still figuring out kind of when to weight it and when to unweight it and all of that stuff. Sure. Um, so there's a lot of smoothness and a lot of finesse and a lot of little little things that I would normally do that I'm not doing yet. But, but. Th- this bike offers me other things that are pretty like it descends like a like a <laughs> like Water's a drop hillside. stone yeah, yeah. it's yeah. It, the way it handles um new england's like small rocks uh aka baby heads the way it, it mm-hmm. like handles those loose rocks and roots is just amazing so it's giving me something even though it's not it has taken some things away, you know, temporarily. So yep. I'm already really enjoying it. And I'm hoping that I can um, co- kind of come up the curve on the bike handling skills uh, quickly enough that it all comes together in, in you know, say three or four months time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll see. Maybe I'll check back in on it. But it's it's pretty interesting and it feels important to me to progress my my riding rather than just like sticking in in that comfortable place i think it's important you know just even as a people uh to to find opportunities to grow if you're not growing you know there's all sorts of things people say about that you're stagnating you're going backward whatever i'm i don't want to focus on what it doesn't do trying to learn new things and stretching your abilities. That's what keeps the world, you know, interesting and full of wonder and makes, uh, that's part of what makes life exciting. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think so. And I think there's also like, this is my area of expertise for better and for worse, uh, <laughs> bikes and, <laughs> and riding them. Um, so being bad for a little while, or at least not very good, uh, you know, like yesterday I was riding with some friends and I've, I abjectly failed at many things that I would otherwise have not thought much about. Mm-hmm. And there's like a, a reflexive embarrassment for not, you know, being up to snuff mm-hmm. uh, that I quickly identify as, oh, that's just my ego. Uh you know, getting in the way of learning a new thing. So like the ego deflation of being a not very good mountain biker for a little while, 
I think that also has real value because the uh, the God's honest truth is, though this is my area of expertise, I, I'm no great shakes. Right. <laughs> right. You know, I'm not. Uh, no one's making videos of me, uh, which is which is fine. That, um, no, that might be a mistake, but for well, different reasons. For different reasons, right? Um, yeah. So I think you know, uh, like trying to get back in that beginner's mindset, and 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 having that beginner's ego or lack of ego uh, also will be helpful to me. So that's kind of what I'm. Those are all the things swirling around. It's just pedals, but this is all the crap swirling around in my head. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to be said for being humbled by something, you know, yeah. getting that reality check. Oh, yeah, it's like this. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's super valuable. I yeah. think. I, I mean, to to touch uh, to go back to, you know, the the switch to flat pedals, one of the things that I think about that uh, I, I don't know if saying it's it freaks me out is quite the right thing. But one of the things that freaks me out about flat pedals is, you know, fundamentally your relationship to the handlebar changes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a lot that changes. I, There's I, a lot going on. The rides that I've done so far have been very busy in my head of mm-hmm. like reorienting. Yes. Yeah. How I treat the handlebar where I sit on the saddle. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I'm an old school roadie. Uh, there's not a lot of muscle mass uh, up top. And so the idea of going out for four hours and pulling up on the bar for most of that, that is utterly foreign to me. And I'm not sure that I have a, the strength and B the endurance, uh, to really execute that. I, I put my feet on flat pedals on a mountain bike. I mean, I've got flat pedals on my cargo bike. Okay. You know, it's not like I can't do this, but you put my feet on flat pedals and then put me on uneven terrain and my amygdala starts screaming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, um, you know, the, the pedals have the, uh, the flat pedals have these pins on them so that they, they do grab your shoes, mm-hmm. um, in a, in a stabilizing way. Uh, but then that leads to like, you're moving around on the pedals and you kind of reorient yourself and okay, you can push the bike away if you go off something and you're not going to land it, but equally you can, um, roll over off that pedal and put those pins directly into your shin in a way that's, uh, not that, um, appealing as well. So yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot going on, um, Right now, as I said, it's only a couple rides in, but I am really enjoying it. Uh, as as long as I can accept at the beginning of the ride that like learning has to happen, <laughs> not you know because some rides you know you would go out, I would go out on my own bike and I would think I'm going to impose myself on the trail. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. going to use this trail and gravity for my own enjoyment. Right. And I'm going to express myself. Exactly. I'm going to express myself. And uh, on this bike so far, 
I am only learning as I go. And sometimes I can express myself in little ways and that's really fun. Um, but there's so much more. There's a lot of upside still in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. One, one last little question. So, you know, one of the things that can happen is that when you start learning something, you really kind of need to focus on that and, you know, have a steady diet of whatever that thing is, you know, uh, and then, you know, bits of rest, like going to sleep so that you get memory consolidation, you know, you establish muscle memory. How much do you plan to be riding? Like for instance, that hardtail 29er, are, are you going to dedicate yourself to this bike for a while and just keep the others parked? Um, I'm trying to ride everything more. Uh, I'm going to be riding this bike, which is a full suspension bike, a lot. Um, but my non-TCI work requires me... This is beautiful. My non-TCI <laughs> work uh, requires me to ride gravel bikes some. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll be doing that. But I think I'm just trying to do everything more right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, last... I mean, I wrote about it on the site today. I wrote a piece about um, how how skill and technique uh, develop. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things uh, that I say that I don't think is particularly revolutionary uh, is repetition is everything. So uh, I anticipate taking this bike to the local, like there's, there in my neighborhood, there are two, I wouldn't even call them uh, woods. I'd call them sort of like large lots. Mm-hmm. Uh, that have fallen trees and boulders and things in them. And I can see for sieges going and spending an hour, you know, working on obstacle mm-hmm. approach mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And I'm, I love that. So I, I'll be doing a lot of practicing that isn't sort of like live mountain biking. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. to speak, where you're just trying to cover trail. And that's a very helpful thing to do. You know, in learning a skill, encountering that same thing, you know, it's like uh, as a musician playing that one passage of music over and over and over until you can just nail it cold. Uh, you know, we referred to, we referred to that as woodshedding. I'm going to go out to the yeah. woodshed and I'm just, and so yeah, going to a place like that where you've got a finite set of obstacles and you can do a bunch of laps of it and really start getting a feel for what the bike does in this situation. And, uh, you know, it seems like you got to go out and ride a lot of different stuff. But no, actually honing a skill on one thing really helps translate it to other situations. And having a finite set of obstacles, it's a really good thing. I think so. I mean, I think there's there's a, a certain sense where you're learning to control the pedals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, this bike has a different wheelbase and a different head tube angle and the rear suspension uh, will compress. So the whole timing of this bike is different yeah. than my old bike. And, you know, with, with high speed obstacle uh, riding, timing is everything. Timing is the difference between something that looks and feels fantastic and a trip to the emergency room. I've done both. <laughs> um, so a lot of it is learning the timing of the bike, uh, sort of recalibrating to the lengths and angles and 
uh, when the timing of when to wait the suspension and not. Um, so it's, it's fascinating. Um, yeah. I'm excited yeah. about it right now. Again, we should check in later. <laughs> okay. We're going to take a break and we will be back in just a minute. This podcast is brought to you by Shimano. Uh, I want to say that as our first sponsor for the Cycling Independent, uh, we tried to be pretty choosy about how who we decided to work with. The, the thing that was particularly compelling uh, in talking to Shimano was that they didn't have any, they, they were on board with our independence. And they, the last thing that they wanted was to feel like uh, readers and listeners would interpret their sponsorship as some control. Uh, in fact, they were saying that, um, you know, in, in, in this day, they don't really need to sell products. They're not sponsoring us to try to sell more product. They're sponsoring us to try to support independent media. Uh, and those are easy words to say, but then in, in creating the sort of um, footprint that they would have with us, they offered no suggestions. They just said, we, we trust you guys to represent us sincerely and how, you, how it's going to work best for you. So let's just go with that. So I have to say huge respect for them and huge appreciation for making the podcast possible. Okay, we're back with the Paceline, the podcast on two wheels. What's your pull this week? Well, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, I'm sick. You know, I don't know if I have COVID, but it's May and everyone I know who has gotten sick in the last month has had, you guessed it, COVID. <laughs> uh, and let me just say that if it is COVID, again, I am so glad that I have been vaccinated three times. Uh this isn't terrible, but I'm glad it's not worse than it is. Um, so my poll is about being sick and riding and or racing because uh, I was somebody dumb enough to do all of those things uh, some years ago. I remember uh, the American winner of the Tour of Italy uh, in 1988, Andy Hampson, once saying in Bicycle Guide, the magazine I later worked for, 90 percent of racing is just not being sick. You know, when you get to that point in fitness where you're just on the razor's edge of fantastic fitness, you're also just millimeters from getting sick again. Uh, right. Your, your, your system is just so fragile at that point. And yeah, I used to get sick a lot. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd get sick two or three times each, each season, I should say, from sometime in the spring through to the end of the summer. Um, and you know, the thing was like when I was, when I was racing seriously, if I missed a day of training, it was a crisis. Uh, each missed day felt like a net loss in fitness. My perspective on it was really rather skewed. Um, but it was a cultural perspective that was really common among, uh, the folks that I, I trained and raced with. Um, so when I was sick, here's how silly I was. I'd wake up in the morning and try to guess, I mean, calculate uh, <laughs> whether going for a ride was like me, likely to make me sicker or not. <laughs> right. <laughs> or, <laughs> if riding seemed unlikely to make me sicker, I went for the ride. It was dumb. Okay. Let, let me just get out in front of that. It was yeah. dumb. Uh, 
<laughs> the number of times a cold held on for more than a week because I wouldn't slow down is something that I cannot even count. Later on, I got a little smarter. Uh, I remember getting the flu after uh, having dinner with a friend in Miami. Uh, I was out there on business, got to see an old friend. We went to dinner. She was just getting over something. Oop, oops. She wasn't fully over. I got it. I got home and I was in bed for four days. Uh, that Friday, I got in the car with my girlfriend and drove up to Bishop, California for the Everest Challenge. And before I talk about the Everest Challenge, let me just say I was in flying form prior to getting sick. Uh, I was able to climb in the lead group on all of my training rides with guys who were uh, some very fine racers. The Everest Challenge was a two-day event that was roughly 100 miles each day with roughly 15,000 feet of climbing each day. And riders did three different long climbs in the Eastern Sierra. Uh, back then, no one had been silly enough to think that maybe they could do that much elevation in a single day. <laughs> we thought that doing it in two days made us badasses. Uh, you know, well, little did we know. Right. <laughs> so I hadn't ridden an inch uh, since before I'd gotten sick. Um on the first day of the event, my legs were dead. I couldn't get out of my own way. People who couldn't stay with me on climbs were riding away from me, including my girlfriend. I was so slow that halfway up the final climb, I gave up and turned around. Quit the day. And this was a race, let me say. I mean, there were people who were doing it as tourists, but there were people like me who was doing the Masters 1, 2, 3 event. I was guaranteed to at least come in eighth, I think. Uh, <laughs> if you'd finished, well, yeah, there, there's that yeah. little detail. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it just, it didn't seem like I was going to be able to get to the top and back down before it was dark. Uh, Ouch. yeah, yeah it, it was that long a day. Needless to say, I was not happy. They allowed me to start the second day as a tourist, but obviously I, I wasn't in contention for anything. Um, and that made me a little crazy because we got to the start and my legs woke up and I was climbing with the leaders and then <laughs> looked over my shoulder and my girlfriend, I didn't have any idea that my legs were fully back on. I was just climbing well, but I looked over my shoulder and she was gone. So I was like, oh, oops, I should probably just be riding with her all day. Um, but it was, that was the single most, uh, it, I don't even know what to call it. It was a crazy lesson in just how much our form can change from one day to, to the next. And mm. it served as a really educational moment. Like they say, a teachable moment about if you're sick, stay off the bike. Right. Uh, and so now, you know, that's the philosophy that I take. Um, I stay off the bike until I feel healthy. Um, and also, you know, to, to own my mistakes, there were plenty of times I thought I'm healthy enough to start riding again and then suffered a major relapse. Yeah. Uh, there's a difference between feeling good and thinking you're healthy enough to ride. I right. think that's probably the, the, the mistake most of us are, are most likely to make. Uh, today, my criteria for getting on the bike following illness 
is just so much more sane, says the guy who previously made lots of mistakes. Sure. I simply ask myself, do I feel good? Uh, Not okay, not recovered enough, not improved, but good. Do I feel good? If I don't feel good and like itching to get back on the bike, I don't. Um, it's only take me, taken me, you know, <laughs> 35 years of cycling to figure that out. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, silly me. Um, yeah. Well, what about you? When you're coming back from, from illness, what do you do? Well, I mean, I used to do dumb things as well. I pushed and pushed and pushed. Um, you know, the rule that I used to follow was if if you're sick from the neck up, you can ride. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you're sick from the neck down, you can't. Mm-hmm. But every time I was sick from the neck up and rode, that led to being sick from the neck down. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, wait. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what my uh, idea was. I just felt like, well, if you just have a head cold, you're just being weak if you take off. But, you know, discretion is the better part of valor, right? You just, just, I don't know. I used to definitely feel like if I lose a ride, then I've really lost something. Uh huh. Uh, but that led to just le- losing more rides as I, be- you know, had bronchitis or whatever, whatever followed these stupid decisions, yeah. uh, you know, and, and I used to do that in wintertime because I loved to, I used, I used to really love to ride in wintertime. Um, but it's just not conducive. Uh, once you've, once you're sick, just, just be sick until you're not sick. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, but this is the, I think this is the lesson of, of the, you know, one of the lessons of the pandemic, which is, uh, be smart uh, be kind to yourself and think about other people for Christ's sake. <laughs> you know, like how many times did we ride with people while we were sick or go to work? You know, most of the time my oh, rides yeah. would end at work anyway. So I would be like hacking and spluttering at the office, but, oh, it's fine. I rode today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I've gone through when I first moved to LA, I was sick like seven times in six months. You know, just yeah. all those new germs that didn't exist in Western Massachusetts. Right. And then, you know, one of my boys in daycare, I was sick eight times in five months. Oh, yeah. Day, daycare <laughs> time is the worst. They're yeah. just bringing everything home with them. <laughs> yeah. You know, a, another little anecdote that serves as one of those crazy uh, data points that I just don't entirely know what to do with. So uh, it was like uh, 1996 or 97. It was the state championships in uh, cyclocross in Southern California, which is to say it was not actually the state championships. It was just the state championships of the Southern half of all of California. Right. Moving right along. Uh, I went so hard. I was actually in pretty good shape. Even though it was December, I'd been doing a full cyclocross race season. I went so hard and so deep in that race um, and calling it, 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 including um, a massive attack on the final lap. Uh, I got second in the race, uh, which was about as good as I was going to do, because there was a guy who just rode away from the rest of us that we hadn't seen all season. It was like, oh, it's like that, is it? So (laughs) I was fighting with the other guys I've been riding with all season and I managed to beat them. So there was that. I started feeling poorly 
on the drive home. Mm. And I got home and it felt like I'd been hit with, you know, a rotavirus and the flu and something else all at once. I had terrible body chills. I was lightheaded, (sighs) you know, dizzy, uh, runny nose. And I curled up on the couch with a blanket wrapped around me and watched TV. And my then wife was not even a little bit pleased with me for that because I didn't get to the honeydew list. Um, The next morning I woke up right as rain. Huh? Nothing wrong at all. And to make matters worse, because I woke up feeling fine my then wife did not believe that I'd been sick the day before. Right. Right. Um, and it's just one of those things that I, part of the reason I remember it is she was so upset with me, but yeah, I was so sick like six o'clock on Sunday evening after having raced at 11 o'clock in the morning, I was wow. so sick, but I, I went to bed and I woke up and everything was fine. I went to work. Hmm. So I feel like uh, sleep never fixes me anymore. I'm always worse when I wake up. But anyway, (laughs) sleep will kill you. Everyone knows that. Yeah, Uh, that was a little bit like me this morning. I woke up and it's like, oh, yeah, I am not. I'm not improved. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So it goes. Well, let's let's get on to the paceline picks. Okay. Uh, This week I'm picking the Kuat Sherpa 2 rack. Uh, I may have picked this rack before, uh, but I rode with some friends yesterday and one of them asked me what I thought of that rack. And I said, man, I love this rack, Mm. which is the first time I've articulated that. And since uh, I've now had it for about a year, I figured even if I'd picked it before, it's worth another uh, another shout. Mm -hmm. What do I like about it? First, it's easy to put on the car and take off. Uh, I don't always need a bike rack. Uh, I, I, I ride from home quite a bit. Uh, no matter, but no matter what rack you get, sometimes it's in the way of your life, right? So being able to install it in three minutes is pretty nice. Um, second, it's rock solid, which given how quickly it goes on is pretty impressive. Uh, with bikes on it, uh, fully loaded, it hardly twitches and the bikes don't move either. Yeah. The ratcheting, uh, front wheel mount also loads in seconds. Um, putting a pair of full suspension mountain bikes on it is simple. Putting smaller, less unwieldy bikes on there. It practically loads itself. Mm -hmm. Um, when you're not using it, it tilts up and locks no rattling again solid it's just the easiest to use most solid rack i've ever owned and after talking with friends who have other racks i think it's the best choice for a caveman like me who really just wants to throw his bikes on the car and go um this guy the sherpa 2.0 is 629 bucks uh and comes in three colors i got black because that's what i do um you can get it at rei if you like to get stuff there but kuat is also in bike shops all over um i would say you can definitely spend less on a rack 629 is pretty pricey but i have not seen one cheaper that does all the things so well as this one and has a lifetime warranty it's just lights out so yeah, it's a really fine product. I've got its little yeah. brother, the NV 2.0, right. and right. it's it's dynamite. The thing I tell people about Kuat racks 
is that it's the only hitch rack that you can put on your car that will actually make your car look better. That does not <laughs> detract from the appearance of your car. I think so. I mean, but I'm I'm biased. Like if I see um, roof trays on a car, I think, oh, that's sexy. Uh, which and it's not it's not i'm just a bike nerd <laughs> there is that yes yeah yeah <laughs> what i'm gonna recommend uh toy boat what i'm gonna recommend today may be the most inexpensive pace line pick i've ever uh picked the thing about being sick as i am is that very often the foods i'd traditionally like to eat just don't seem even remotely appetizing uh, I was on the phone with someone this morning. They're like, well, what about this? What about this? I was like, no, can't eat. Nope. Don't want to eat. Nope. Not interested. So if there's one thing I know about getting sick is that it's important to keep eating. Uh, yeah. And so I'm picking one of the foods that I've been willing to keep eating, which is pop tarts. <laughs> <laughs> I still have a sense of smell and taste, but my appetite is gone. I mean, it's a wall like a drunk sailor on shore leave. As foods go, Pop-Tarts are nothing to brag about even a little bit. They are almost devoid of nutritional content, but they do have some caloric value. So while I still feel like dog poo, uh, every time I can coax myself into eating, I do feel a little bit better for a while. And if you're wondering why I have Pop-Tarts in my home, I plead little boys. There are mornings where the only thing I can get them to eat before taking them to school is a pack of Pop-Tarts. Doing so, let me just say, makes me feel like an awful dad. Uh, maybe not the world's worst dad, but an awful dad. Uh, but I know that in the grand scheme, again, eating Better than not eating. Uh, I, I could stick a little greater than symbol in here. Uh, <laughs> I'm partial to the brown sugar cinnamon ones, but the peach cobbler is also pretty stinking good. Um, yeah, so um, next time you're sick, consider Pop-Tarts. I'll tell you this. Uh, I have a soft spot for Pop-Tarts myself. Um, I try it. I don't have them in my home because then I won't have them in my home. Um, so I, I tend to only buy them on vacation. Like if we go skiing, I will, I will almost always buy a, a, a box of pop tarts. And I'll tell you in terms of father of the year, um, candidacies, the only way for me to get my boys, uh, up in time to get on the first chairlift at the ski place is with a Red Bull and a pop tart. <laughs> and I, I don't care. I don't care at all. I feel like, you know, we're going to burn those calories off. Um, oh, for sure. So I don't buy Pop-Tarts all the time, but I'm not afraid to buy a box of Pop-Tarts strategically. Um, and I, 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 I like them. I enjoy them quite a bit. Well, with the way I've been sweating this morning, I may already have burned all those calories. <laughs> if you start to smell like uh uh cinnamon sugar cinnamon brown sugar then you'll know yeah well and you know like i said fortunately i have not lost my sense of taste or smell so i've yeah. got that going for me Alrighty, that's a wrap on another episode of the pace line uh send us some questions if you've got an idea uh or a question 
please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed this show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.